are not the way they ought to be. But God wants to do a work and the people of God, the church of Jesus Christ is designed to be the forerunner until its fulfillment of God's kingdom. And so really, the kingdom of God has to begin in the way we interact, the way we function within the family of God. This might not come as a surprise to you, but this world isn't functioning the way God intended it to. In fact, Pastor Daniel will tell you today that it won't work until after Jesus has come back. That doesn't mean you should give up hope, though. Jesus is inviting you to participate in the kingdom of heaven right now, right in your own piece of the world. You can demonstrate Jesus' way of living by following his plan for you and showing love to the world. Now, here's Pastor Daniel in Isaiah chapter 9 as he continues his message, The Governor. John the Baptist, it says this, In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea and saying, Repent! For the kingdom of heaven is at hand, for this is he who was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah, saying, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. So John the Baptist, fulfilling another prophecy in Isaiah as the forerunner of Jesus, comes and says, repent, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Now this is the thing about the reign of Jesus, and I think this is why when you start talking about Jesus' government, Jesus' reign, his kingdom, that it gets confusing for us. Because when John came, he says, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent, turn to God, because God's kingdom is at hand. And then what you find is that when you look around, does it really seem like God's kingdom is at hand in the world that we live in? It sure doesn't, right? Because what we learn about God's kingdom, theologians say it this way, that the kingdom of God is already and not yet. It is and it is coming. And that, my friends, is a tension that we want to be resolved that isn't resolved. See, God's kingdom is already, but it is not yet in its fulfillment. Because if it was, we would know it because his government is characterized by peace. And we don't see a whole lot of peace in the world, do we? See, for you and I, what we learn is that God's kingdom is breaking into the world wherever it is that God reigns. Now, according to our Bible, where is it that God reigns? Right now, in the people of God, amidst the family of God, or it should be. And so in order for the reign of God to be within the people of God, then you and I need to lean in to him as our king. We need to subject ourselves under his rule. But the question for each one of us is, is that is God really in control of our own lives? 
That, I realize that's a big question, isn't it? How many of you guys have ever heard of in Christmas the idea of regifting? Everyone giggles. You know, it's like you get a gift, didn't really want it, don't really open it, you save it till next year, and then you give it to somebody else. Now, if you know Seinfeld at all, there was a whole big thing about regifting, a great episode about regifting. But here's the thing God has given you the gift of your own life, and God wants you to regift it back to Him. God's into regifting. God has given you the ability to make decisions over your own life. And God is like, no, no, I'm giving you. And God actually wants us to say, God, no, 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 this life is yours. I was bought at a price. I'm not my own. So I'm re-gifting myself back to you. But I've been around long enough, and so have you, to realize that oftentimes we believe in Jesus, but he's really not the king of our life. There's all sorts of other things that are king, all sorts of other things that take precedence and priorities, all sorts of other ethical and political and economic concerns really drive the course of our lives. And what we do when we do that is we are hitching our wagon not to the unlimited, limitless government of the king of kings and the lord of lords, but we're pitching our wagon to a series of ethics and economics and politics that are earthbound and worldly, that haven't even, for us here in America, that haven't even been able to sustain the time of even 1,000 years, even 500 years, still in its infancy, as it is weighed against limitless and unlimited government. Who's reigning in your life? Who's reigning in my life? Is Jesus given his proper place as ruler in our lives? Now, when you start talking about the unlimited, limitless government of Jesus, I want you to notice this because it says, and of the increase of his government and peace. Now, didn't we just see that in verse 6, that Jesus is called the what? The prince of peace, right? And I told you that that word prince in the Hebrew, it literally means the administrator of peace. When we think of a prince, we think the guy who's going to get the crown after the king is no longer there. But no, the prince in that culture was the administrator. And so Jesus is the administrator of peace. And we talked about that word peace, right? The Hebrew word shalom. It means unlimited human flourishing, complete and total prosperity, the way things ought to be. Everything working together in perfection in the way that God created it. And what we learn is that the reason we should celebrate the limitless government of Jesus is because Jesus' government is all about ultimate God glorification and human flourishing. And this is why we like terms for politicians. This is why we like checks and balances. Because we say, if somebody is left to their own devices for too long, people are going to be oppressed, and this person is going to be exalted. But Jesus' government is intimately tied to the perfect way God wants the world to work. So my friends, my encouragement to you is we need to find how God wants us to involve ourselves in the kingdom of Jesus, for God's peace to enter the world through our lives. Because if you look around, you find that 
things ain't the way they ought to be. Right? Things are not the way they ought to be. But God wants to do a work and the people of God, the church of Jesus Christ is designed to be the forerunner until its fulfillment of God's kingdom. And so really, the kingdom of God has to begin in the way we interact, the way we function within the family of God. And we're going to get to this in a little bit more in a second. But for now, just remember that Jesus' government will limitlessly expand his influence and is designed to create peace that knows no end. And isn't that what they told the shepherds? Peace on earth, goodwill towards men. Because the King of kings and the Lord of lords is now here to take his position as ruler and reigner within the kingdom of God. Now notice, of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. And upon the throne of David and over his kingdom to order it and establish it with judgment and justice. Next, we learn that Jesus fulfills ancient promises. Jesus fulfills ancient promises. Just the way the prophet Isaiah is writing some 600 years before the birth of Jesus, Jesus and his government actually stands on the shoulders of another one of God's promises. And so I need to give you a little bit of background about this to make sure that you understand why this is important. See, God had promised this reign and government to a man named David. Many people have heard about David. David was maybe your first international man of mystery, so to speak. He was a a renaissance man. David was a killing musician. If you needed a great hook on the lute, David was your guy. He was like the Jimi Hendrix of ancient Israel. And you got no Jim? Okay, anyway. Someone's like, yeah. He was like the Jimmy Page. Before he was Jimmy Page, he was like the, uh, I don't know, Leo Kotke. You guys are Christians, so you guys like him, right? You guys are like, who's Leo Kotke? Anyway, he could write a mean song. And he was the ultimate warrior. If you wanted yourself uh, to give out foreskins in your stockings for Christmas, David was your guy to get them. That's a nice awkward reference, isn't it? The children of Israel actually sang a song about David and his getting the foreskins. How weird is that? It means that David was the ultimate warrior. He was Hercules before Hercules was Hercules. He was the one guy that when he showed up on the battlefield, everybody was mad. He was like equal parts James Bond Hercules and the Incredible Hulk, except he was a normal guy, and he was a phenomenal guitar player, and if you needed some poetry, David was your guy. Because if you read the Psalms, what, two-thirds of the Psalms were written by the same guy. So this is a warrior poet, guitar player, uber king. And you guys know, I'm not stretching, this. that's the truth of who David was. And if you think about what happened with David, 
in the history of the children of Israel, when God called Abraham, God said, Abraham, I want you to leave your family. I want you to go into your own country and I'm going to make you a great nation. I'm going to bless you. And in you, all the nations of the earth are going to be blessed. Now that blessing is actually the baby in the manger who grew up to live the perfect life and to die on a cross and to be resurrected from the grave. Jesus is the blessing that God wants to give the world through the lineage of Abraham. But God's design was to make Abraham a great nation where God was the king. So Abraham had Isaac, and Isaac had Jacob, and Jacob had the 12 patriarchs, and they ended up in Egypt, and Joseph was ruling there. And then through the course of time, of course, a pharaoh rose up who didn't know Joseph, and they began to oppress the children of Israel because God's blessing was on their life, and then God delivered the children of Israel through the work of Moses. And then he brought them into the promised land under the ministry of Joshua, which you can read about in your Bible. And after Joshua died and the people were settled in the promised land, there was a series of judges. And if you read the book of Judges, the running theme in the book of Judges were, and the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord. Without a great leader, the children of Israel were suffering. And so finally, God raises up the prophet Samuel. And the people go to Samuel and they say, Samuel, we want a king. Everybody else around us has a human king. We want a king. And Samuel's like, no, 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 you don't. God is your king. And they say, in effect, no, we want to be like everybody else. My friends, we're not like everybody else. You do not want to be like everybody else. God says that we should be his peculiar people, not peculiar strange awkward, weird. Some of us have kind of grabbed that whole, I'm a peculiar person and I'm just kind of odd. Not necessarily God's design. God wants us to be unique. And the children of Israel, they wanted to be like every other nation. We want our own king. And Samuel's like, you do not. He's going to oppress you. He's going to take your money. Oh, they're like, no, no, no. We want to be like everyone else. And my friends, we need to learn from that because it wasn't God's intention. God doesn't want us to be like everybody else. He wants us to be unique. He wants us to be peculiar because he's our king. But again, God in his grace, God redeems our mistakes. The first king was a man named Saul, handsome and tall, but all jacked up, all messed up. Saul's heart was just flat out wrong. But God had a plan and God raised up a shepherd boy who was an amazing guitar player a mighty warrior. And David, one of the most famous kings in the history of Israel. But David was a man like you or I. He wasn't perfect. Actually, if you read your Bible, you realize that David was a total train wreck. Started out so promising. But David ended up, he was the first mob guy. He plotted the murder. He took out a hit on Uriah. Straight wise guy style. He committed adultery with Uriah's wife. As David got on in his years, he seemed like he was a pretty lousy father, didn't really tend to his family the way he ought to. But even with all of David's flaws, we find that David had a heart after God. He shared God's heart. And after his mistake with Bathsheba, The punishment for that mistake was the death of David and Bathsheba's born son. But when that happened, David repented. And it says in 2 Samuel chapter 7, 
verses 12 to 16, it says, when your days are fulfilled and you rest with your fathers, I will set up your seed after you who will come from your body. I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be his father and he shall be my son. If he commits iniquity, I will chasten him with the rod of men and with the blows of the sons of men. But my mercy shall not depart from him as I took it from Saul, whom I removed from before you. Now listen to this. And your house and your kingdom shall be established forever before you. Your throne shall be established forever. See, even in the midst of David's greatest mistake, God has a plan. And God is saying, look, I'm going to give you another son. And that is called the Davidic covenant. And really, the covenant points to God's gift of Solomon, who would be the next king, and the gift of the eternal king, the king who's greater than King Solomon, the son of David, who is the greater son and the truer son of David. God promised David, listen, Your kingdom's going to last for one of your descendants is going to sit on your throne forever. And Jesus, the son of God, is the fulfillment of this covenant. He's the fulfillment. This is not something that just happened out of nowhere. God had already promised it. He had promised it to Abraham. He had promised it to David. And Jesus comes in fulfillment of those ancient promises. And that's why, have you ever, you ever noticed in your Bible how the Bible, the, the Gospel of Matthew, how many of you guys have read all the way through the New Testament, from Genesis to Revelation? Good. Listen, if you haven't, you need to do it. Do it. And if you've done it, you need to do it again. You ever notice that the Gospel of Matthew begins in a way that nobody would ever choose? Can you imagine if you're writing a screenplay about the greatest man who ever lived, and you bring it to a Hollywood executive, not Sony, though, else they send mean emails about you. But imagine you write the script and you start, okay, I got the story. Here's the genealogy of Jesus, the son of Abraham, the son of David. Abraham, he got Isaac, and Isaac, we got Jacob, and Jacob, we got the 12 page. Do you think that's going to make it through the first editing process? No way. You know the first 10 minutes, you got to hook everybody into the story. Why is all that there? And I don't know how many times when I've given someone the Bible and I turn to Matthew, I'm like, here, start reading right here. And I'm always like, now listen, the first 17 verses just a long list of names. Don't worry about it. It links Jesus to everything that came before from Genesis to Malachi. See, for us, from a stylistic point of view, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense. But when you realize that not only the genealogy of Matthew chapter 1, but also the other genealogy at the end of Luke chapter 3, it shows that Jesus sits in the lines of the promises of Abraham and the lines of the promises of David. Now, for those of you who are critical readers, which I encourage you to be in the Bible, you realize that those two genealogies are unique. Why? Because one goes through Mary and one goes through Jesus' stepfather, Joseph. Why? So that it's without, there's no way to dispute that Jesus is the fulfillment of all of God's promises given before. That's why that's there. It's an important piece of information. But if you read it, don't worry, just, it, the list of names is kind of boring unless you're looking for baby names. But it links everything up because Jesus' kingdom fulfills ancient promises. This is not something that just got made up. 
I love when I talk to people who've maybe gone to a liberal arts college and took a religions of the Western world, and they say, oh, yeah, all that stuff's made up. I remember when I went to Rutgers and I took religions of the Western world, very first semester of college, that was like 8.30 in the morning class. That was bad in and of itself. And the professor of that class was a reverend doctor. He was one of the editors of the Jesus Seminar. If, you've ever, if you know about that, if you don't, you're not missing a whole lot. Whole group of, I'll tell you real quick. The Jesus Seminar was a group of scholars who decided that they were going to tell us what Jesus really said and what he didn't say. Imagine that. 2,000 years after these things were penned, a group of guys were like, we're going to tell you what he really said. That's genius, isn't it? So this guy goes in there, and literally, he systematically undermines Christianity the whole time. Now, what was really interesting for me is, I didn't believe it anyway. And then I thought to myself, I'm like, if this guy's a reverend doctor, why is he a reverend doctor? He doesn't even believe any of this stuff. Why does he want to make sure none of us believe this stuff? That was the first crack in my armor, actually. When you realize, what's the, why is this guy so intense about this whole thing? And he went through the whole thing, and oh, you know, the apostles made all this stuff up, and they wanted to invent a religion, and all this stuff. I love when people say that to me now, because I'm like, you haven't done your homework, have you? You can't make statements like that unless you've actually done some research. And when you realize, this stuff wasn't just made up later. It wasn't like all of a sudden, the apostle Paul was having one too many Jack and Cokes at the local pub and designed this whole thing. It wasn't like that. This stuff, there's all this history and all this deep reality that when Jesus came, all of a sudden everyone realized, oh man, this is the guy. And he fulfills ancient promises, promises to Abraham, promises to David, promises to Moses, promises to Noah and Adam, all through this, all these things that Jesus comes in and he fills in the gap. In a lot of ways, it's like Jesus is the duct tape for creation. He fixes everything. He ties it all. That's, that's a bad reference, but it works, right? Because you guys all know duct tape fixes everything, right? He's the ultimate profound fix-all for everything, and he fits everything together, and it all fits together because of Jesus, and he fulfills these ancient promises. Now, notice, though, upon the throne of David and over his kingdom to order it and establish it with judgment and justice from that time forward even forever. So now, now we hear the, these are the characteristics of Jesus' government. It's judgment and justice. Judgment and justice. See, if you read about David's reign, David's reign was not ordered and established with judgment and justice. There was all sorts of issues, profound issues. But Jesus, standing on the shoulders of King David, his kingdom is now ordering and establishing David's promised reign with judgment and justice. And we also saw peace before. Jesus is real. God is faithful. He keeps his promises. In today's message, Pastor Daniel reminded you of the history of Israel's kings, discussing the roles of Saul, David, and Solomon in the governing of his chosen nation. None of them were perfect. Pastor Daniel shared, none of them led perfectly either. But God made a promise to David that from his line would come the King of Kings, the everlasting and perfect ruler, and that was Jesus. Hey everybody, this is Pastor Daniel, and I want to be honest with you for a moment. Life is messy, and the hard reality is, if it isn't messy for you now, it will be, and it probably has been in the past. 
Did you know that you can still thrive in tough times? It's true, you can, but only through the power of Jesus. That's the purpose behind my book, Honestly. I want you to know how to keep living your best life in Jesus, no matter the circumstances of your life. You can find out more about it and get your own copy at JesusIsRealRadio.com. Make sure to tune in again as Pastor Daniel talks about the government of Jesus and really the eventual government his followers will enjoy when Jesus returns. It's more than just a good political system. and It really can't be fully defined by anything you see right now on earth. Jesus' form of government will be just, it will be righteous, and it will be peaceful. What a wonderful future we have to look forward to. There's more to come from Pastor Daniel's series, Jesus at Street Level. Please glance at the clock right now and make plans to join us again for another edition of Jesus is Real Radio.